Hey everybody, I'm Jeremy. And I'm Jess. And we are two internet friends exploring the intersection of independent business and rails. Welcome to Indie Rails. So hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Indie Rails. Today we don't have a special guest. Well, we do have a special guest. <laughs> We're going to fire Jeremy from his co-host duties and make him a guest. And I'm going to interview him. <laughs> nice. Does that sound all right, Jeremy? That sounds good. Yeah. Yeah, that works, Jess. Cool. So it's been, what, Jeremy, two weeks after Blue Ridge? Uh, I think it's three now. And time flies. We wanted to break this down. I had a bunch of questions I wanted to ask Jeremy. I think other people are probably interested too. And I think, Jeremy, you've probably had some time to think about some things and things dust has settled. And so I'm sure you have some comments, just thoughts about doing this thing. So yeah, thought we'd hop in. And I was thinking about it, putting on a conference is really like starting a small business, isn't it? In a lot of ways. I mean, creating this event, but you have income, you have expenses, you have to do marketing, you have to do management. So it's very similar. Along the way, I realized that I kept having to make all these things up. I don't usually have to make this many things up, whether it's a budget for a thing I've never done or a brand for something that I've never done or all these processes. Like, how do you run a CFP process? Like, I don't know. Okay, make up a process. So it's, yeah, all along the way, it's like all these things I'm just having to make up suddenly. And yeah, I think that's probably the case. It's like you start a business and all of a sudden you are having to invent all these things on your own. Take us back. How did this even get started? Like, what made you think, I'm going to start a conference? What made me think that I could pull something like this off? I, or no, just what, made, what yeah. gave you the idea, the inspiration? Yeah. So I've never been a huge conference goer. In the Ruby community, previous to last year, I'd been to Jason Charn's Southeast Ruby a couple of times. And I really enjoyed that. But haven't attended a lot of conferences. There's another conference that you and I both know about here in Greenville called Greenville Grok that I've been to a couple of times as well. And I had a good time at those conferences, but for the longest time when I was working on my own, I may have mentioned this before on, on the podcast, but I couldn't convince myself that it was worth the cost, especially for high ticket conferences to pay thousands of dollars to fly and stay in a hotel and go to this conference. And I didn't know what is the thing? Like, what's the thing that I can attach at the end that says that I have some ROI that comes out of that I'm satisfied with? And I wanted to go. I've always wanted, like, oh, sure, if I had the money, I'd go. Right. But when it's like having a little bit more buffer in my personal business or going to do this fun thing, like, I probably would just keep the money. Right. So I often said no, especially at the big conferences. I'd always look at RailsConf and say, oh, one day, that sounds good. And you were thinking this from the perspective of a freelancer, right? Yeah, yeah. So for years, yeah, freelancing, working on my own, I would just say no to a lot of those things. And I'm an introvert. So conferences and being around a lot of people can be really overwhelming for me. And there's some also anxiety around like, okay, if I go and I don't make any friends, if it comes to lunchtime or dinner time and I can't find a group to be with, it'll be just like high school all over again. And I do not want that <laughs> as an adult, you know, like can't find the table to sit at. That was real for me and has been. Anyway, so in the past year or two, I've been trying to grow in some new ways and push myself and push my boundaries, I guess, 
personally and professionally. And last year in 2022, I decided I'm going to go to a bunch of conferences and I'm not going to think about the expense. I'm just going to do it. I'm going to try to have a good time and get as much out of it as I can. And maybe even especially because of COVID and not being able to, I did a similar thing with like, as soon as I could start seeing live music again, I went to a bunch of shows because that's one of the things I missed terribly. Obviously, there are way worse things that happened during COVID, but that is personally like one thing that I missed a lot. And I think it was like this almost a rebound effect of wanting in the sense of conferences, wanting to connect with people in person again. And I know a lot of people have felt that too, but I just wanted to push that to the limit as much as my business bank account could allow. And so I went to four conferences last year. I went to Sin City, Jason Sweat's conference in Las Vegas, and that was fantastic. And that one, propelled me into RailsConf Portland and another great conference, but totally different. Jason's was very small and intimate. RailsConf was huge, but because I'd made a bunch of friends at the first conference, I had a bunch of people I already knew that I could hang out with at the the big conference. And that got me inspired to submit a talk proposal for RubyConf Mini, and that got accepted. So I was able to go to that in Providence later in the year. And then also to RailSAS in LA, Andrew Culver's conference. And I loved each one of those conferences. And I came home so excited. I had trouble sleeping at night. I was like amped up every time. And that's kind of rare for me. Usually I'm like drained by being around a bunch of people. And I talked to other introverts who were like, yeah, just like wiped out for days after a conference. I was inspired and excited in a way I hadn't been in a long time. And Toward the end of the year, I was realizing like, this is so cool. I And one of the things was I'd seen like three of those conferences that I went to had never existed before. And so like seeing like these conferences that were, it was the first time anyone had ever experienced them was really cool. And I was starting to take all these kind of mental notes of, oh, I really liked what they did here. And I like this thing and I like this thing and this one. You were already sort of thinking about it at that point. Yeah, I guess it's like, you know how everybody, like if you love going to the coffee shop, you're like, Oh, I wonder if I could run a coffee shop. Anything that you like consuming, you like the idea of also having a business or like doing yourself. At least that's what I do. And so that's why I started to think right from the beginning, like kind of, oh, I like this and I like this thing and that would be really cool. But one of the biggest things was by the end of the year, I just, I felt I gained so much personally from those experiences and was very thankful, especially for the smaller ones that were very costly to a particular person like Jason or Andrew or Gemma and Emily, even for RubyConf Mini, they were costly for them in time and resources and that sort of thing. Those ones like meant a lot to me. All of them mean a lot, but especially to bring something brand new and know that it very easily could not have existed. They could have chosen to ignore that sense of wanting to start this new project. I just had a lot of gratitude for that and thought, man, I'd like to do that for other people. And especially doing something small, doing something that would be easy for people who aren't big conference goers or who feel overwhelmed by really like a thousand person conference. I wanted to have something smaller like that. And so I started to have this idea of like what I could envision. And then I was like, well, where would I do a conference like that? You know, just like thinking about that. And at first I was thinking about Greenville and Greenville is a nice town here in South Carolina, but I love Asheville. Like 10 years ago, we lived there for a period of time and 
I miss the mountains so much. I, I love that town. And I thought that would be a sweet town. I would fly to Asheville to go to a conference. And I just like bet that other people would too. And so like I threw out this random tweet on the way home from one of the conferences saying like, maybe I should put on a Blue Ridge Ruby in Asheville. And all these people started responding to that. And I was like, okay, this is more feedback than I normally get on a project or an idea that I have. <laughs> and people are positive about this. Maybe there's something here. And maybe the thing that really helped was having Mark reach out and say, oh, I'm here in Asheville. I'll help you do that. And it was just like, so matter of fact, like, I'll help you do that. <laughs> mm-hmm. like, okay. Because that's the other big thing is like, I don't know if I can pull off something like this on my own. It's too big. It's too scary. Like, could I really do that? But having somebody like Mark just immediately respond and say, yeah, I'd help you do that was like, gave me like a lot of confidence. Even if it's rough, there'll be somebody who's got my back on this. And I really, at the time, I like, especially like really needed that. Yeah. I was going to ask you in retrospect, how important having uh, a partner and the other volunteers that helped you, it seemed like you could really lean on them and not just for physical support, but emotional support to back you up. Maybe you can't generalize some of this, but I know for me, having someone else be like a support person was like really critical, especially on a project like this that I was just so unknown and felt, at least for me, felt really ambitious. I know for some people, this is not ambitious, but for me, this was very ambitious because it was so many things I'd never done before. And there were a lot of ways where I was bringing the vision, I think, behind the kind of event that I wanted, but I needed help to go through the roller coaster of putting on a conference of the surprise challenges that you hit or the things that freak you out or the things where you're like, I don't know what to do. And I needed a support for that. And Mark was like right there helping me. He was like the steady person helping me along the way. And some validation, some assurance. Yeah. Yeah. Like when I'm freaking out about different aspects of the planning process that he can help me make a calm, good decision and move on and not Cause I can get stuck. I often like spin in my head, like, what should I do? And just get stuck in indecision or like overthink things. And so having somebody that was able to help me kind of dig out of myself to do that was really important. So I don't know that everybody's, you know, needs that, but I definitely did. And I think it would have been way more stressful without a partner and it might've broken me. I don't know. (laughs) Well, I think that's why so many businesses you see start there with partnerships, twos, threes, even. Yeah. You got this idea, you put out the tweet and at what point did you really say to yourself, this is going to happen? Whether you're starting a business or a conference, you sort of dream about it. You start looking into it, doing the research, you start putting numbers together. And then at some point you're like, I think this is going to happen. Do you remember that? Yeah, it was in December of last year. So Mark and I started talking. We talked a few times. I think I drove up to Asheville and met him. And Asheville's like an hour north of us and met him for lunch. And we kind of hashed some things out. Oh, but I also decided I needed to talk to some other organizers. So Andy Kroll was nice enough to speak to me as well as Jason Charns. And I kind of just peppered them with questions. I took all these notes and kind of came away with, all right, what's like the basic outline of what I would do and could I pull this off? And they were very encouraging and also gave me a lot of their wisdom. And I really appreciated that. And then there was a point where I guess one of the main things in December was I needed a venue. I knew that was probably the first thing. It's like nailing a venue and dates. 
And then everything could kind of flow from there. And a venue was one of the three or four big costs of putting on a conference. So it was the keystone I needed in place first. Okay. So one of the reasons why this was stressful and scary was because I was planning to bankroll the project myself until ticket sales or sponsorships helped to cover the costs. So that was scary. But I had a decent year last year financially. And so I was sitting on a bit of a cushion that I didn't normally have and knew that if I could actually have a little more expenses on the books last year, that was actually going to be helpful. So putting 50% down on the venue last year for this year actually worked out in my favor. And so I wanted to get that done before the end of the year. So very middle of December, we had identified the Masonic Temple and I really loved this space and really wanted it. I thought it would come across as like a really cool space. And I think it was just a point where I was like, well, screw it. Let's just go. There wasn't like, a, okay, everything makes sense here, but there was nothing that was going to tell me I needed to do this. So you could have backed out at any point until you put that <laughs> money down. The, yeah. And then at that point, the then I knew I was in. As soon as I put the money down on that, then it was like, okay, we're in, we're going. You brought up the financial commitment and the space was one of the biggest commitments. Do you mind sharing if there's somebody out there that wants to go start a conference? What just ballpark budget would somebody sort of need cash on hand? That's before sponsors, I guess. Is it 5,000, 10,000, 30,000? All right. I'm pulling up my spreadsheet. I have a spreadsheet I started in December that I've been working from ever since. And yeah, so the way I thought about it was I've got a base set of expenses that I've got to cover somehow and even at a loss to myself. So as soon as I'm in on this conference, as soon as I start going, even if I can't break even on it, I'm going to cover this base set of expenses. And then if I get to a certain level, then I'll have like stretch goals. So the base expenses were the venue. I got a good deal. It was like, it ended up being like, 7,000, 7,500. I think 10,000 is more common. 10 to 12 is probably more common. That's what I was going to ask if you knew from other organizers, is that pretty close? I think, yeah, 10 is probably more likely. And that's a couple hundred people, right? Yeah. Our max capacity was 350. So we certainly could have held more. I think there's a lot of variability there, but I think we ended up getting a good deal, especially for the type of venue it was. Then there's insurance. I wasn't sure initially how much that would be, but I knew like having insurance was requirement for the venue. And then I had this plan to do these Saturday activities, which man, that was a complication, but added liability to myself that I knew I needed to cover somehow with insurance. And so I originally was really scared to even talk to the insurance agent about what that would look like. <laughs> it ended up being less than a thousand for that. I knew I needed name badges, which came in around 400. We weren't going to do lunch. This is a big thing. It was like, if you're doing the first conference, if you have a venue that's close to food, you probably don't need to do lunch. Like, don't do it. I think the outings were pretty spectacular because it allowed us to group up and go and be in small groups with other people and also experience the city. Yes. That and, was and as hope. a group. So that was fun. And I think I would have preferred that over a box lunch where we're all sitting in a cafeteria or dining hall somewhere. That was my sense. That was my sense. And I, I wasn't sure because some people kind of expect a catered lunch, but my sense was that it was going to be better if you're in this town with such a good food scene, just give people a big open lunch and let them go explore. And especially, yeah, like you said, in the small groups where they're doing it together. So it's a group activity, 
but you're not like in this huge crowded hall where it's super loud and you, everyone's waiting in these long lines and stuff. So, but I still needed drinks and snacks. And so that ended up being around 2,800. Actually, you know what? Christie's bills haven't all come in on that. So it might be more like 3,000, 3,500. I can't remember. I haven't tallied everything in total there. Y'all had some pretty fancy snacks. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we were trying to like do a good job on that, especially since we didn't have meals. Like we wanted to do something that would feel good that way. Yeah. They were noteworthy. Yeah. <laughs> good. Okay. That's good. Yeah. And maybe we could have shaved the budget there a bit, but it also felt like one of the ways that you can just kind of make it more special, I guess. And so it has speaker honorarium, I don't know if it's common talk to some organizers who said, at least in the Ruby community, it's common to do an honorarium for speakers around $500. And that does not cover what the speaker's expenses are to even go to the conference to like do the flight in their hotel. So it's kind of unfortunate that way. But I didn't know what I could plan to afford. And it seemed like this was at least the common accepted end of what honorariums would be at us, especially at maybe a smaller conferences. So that's why I went with was like 500 a speaker. And then there's a speaker dinner that was around 2000 and logo and branding work for 1500. And so all of that came out, let's see, all of that came out to about 20,000. So I knew I needed about 20,000 to hit this base budget. And some of that went on the books for last year. And then the rest was going to be on the books for this year. And then beyond that was going to be stretch goals. So video production, t-shirts, banners and signage, doing prizes. I was planning originally to, until we had Wafras do the ice cream sandwiches, I was thinking that I would probably cover that expense myself. But thankfully, Mike was able to do that. Helping to cover the tubing expenses on Saturday and some things like that. And then I ended up having to do things like, at the last minute, I had to buy a projector (laughs) because the venue's projector was not very good. So... All told, my expenses came in at just shy of 30 grand. But with sponsorships and ticket sales, I think I'm coming out again. I have some receipts left that I have to tally up, but I think I'm coming out maybe two grand ahead, something like that. Yeah, which feels great because I didn't know that I would be able to break even. That was a goal of mine to break even on the base expenses, but to be able to cover everything and be able to do like shirts the way I wanted them and everything else, I was able to do everything that I was trying to accomplish. And that felt really good. That was really smart to have those stretch goals where you had like certain marks that you wanted to hit. And then you're like, okay, if we get to this point, then we can do this. And if we get to this point, then we can do this. Yeah. And I sort of explained that to sponsors around like the video production part. But really, yeah, I was thinking about it for several things personally until I saw the numbers, you know, where they needed to be. So that was helpful. And I knew I could just not really go overboard if I had to. And I knew like it that if I could have 65 people show up, then I would have broken even on my base budget, for example. But then when I hit 100 people, then I knew that I could do all the additional goals that I had for those stretch expenses. Now, in addition to expenses, you had all the time commitment that you put in. And I think I saw you mention before that you say you averaged about 10 hours a week on this. Yeah. Since January. It's a pretty significant amount of time. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I'm used to tracking my time. I love time tracking. I didn't when I originally started working on my own, but now I love it. And after the first couple of weeks, I realized, oh, this is going to be a big project. I better start time tracking. So the only thing I'm missing out of my numbers are 
when I built the marketing site, which probably was about 30 to 40 hours. And the time I spent was Mark planning in December. So my numbers, I'm seeing like probably a total of 250 hours on the project from mid-December to until the conference and not including the actual days of the conference themselves, but mm-hmm. everything else for the prep. And the days leading up to. Yeah. I had no idea what that would look like, but that's now I know it really took that. I don't know that I could have shaved much off of that. Well, I know there's probably people out there that are thinking about doing this and you being so open with that is probably really helpful for them to get an idea of like, what does it really take? And being able to see in a clear example, I think can give people some confidence to be able to do it. One thing I didn't cover is really like what the rest of the team did. There are things like name badges that Jonathan took over and did completely himself. Like it was kind of a horrendous project because I didn't use a registration system. That was one of the big mistakes I made. I just used Stripe checkout and I should have used an actual registration system. So gathering all the right data to put on name badges was a major project. So I don't know how much that took. And there were many like kind of side quests that the volunteers did for a number of things. So that's not even tallying their time necessarily. Right. And I don't know how much that is. Maybe call that another 50 hours, 50 to 100 in that ballpark, maybe. Okay. So now that the dust is settled and you've had some time, I'm sure, to get feedback from friends and family, maybe sponsors, people in the community, what are your takeaways? Was it worth it? Was it a positive thing for you? Well, I know it was a positive thing for the community. So that probably means that it was a positive thing for you. But what are your retrospects? This feels very personal to share, I guess. Like Because it was like this very, at least for a long while, it was just me kind of toiling away. Yes, with the help of the team, but a lot of the days, a lot of the tasks were just things like I'm thinking about these two days, like for hours and hours, thinking about what these two days will look like and hoping that it would be something great. You know, hoping that all the details would come out well. So coming away from it, like number one, like big picture, it was one of the highlights of my life. And maybe that sounds extreme, but like for me, that's, it really was. I've had a lot of side projects just crash and burn. Little apps and projects I tried to get off the ground or early startup that just floundered or things that I got them done, but at such a high cost that it almost felt like it wasn't worth it. You know, at the end, this project was difficult in many ways for me, but It was so rewarding to see everyone that came, to see like over 100 people there, to see the way they connected to each other, to see these amazing speakers, to see the gratitude session that happened on Friday, to just watch people like I'm running around, like trying to get a bunch of things done. But all these people are like just like talking and enjoying each other and in the breaks and coming back from lunch and just laughing, having a great time and like seeing people notice all the details and really appreciate them. And at the end, just being like, this was so great. Hearing all the feedback that it meant a lot to them, that felt so good. So it's a number of things for me, but it's a combination of things like, I didn't know if I could pull off something like this, being kind of an unknown in the Ruby community up to especially like last year. I didn't know if I could convince people to come. I didn't know if I could convince sponsors to help. I had no idea if I could break even on the budget. I didn't know if I could get speakers to come. I didn't know if I would be able to balance the talks in a way that would have a a nice feel to it. I was really hoping that I could create an inclusive environment where people felt 
safe and connected to each other. And that wasn't like posturing or competitive, I guess, things like that. I wanted it to be a place where people felt like no matter who you were, you belong there. You like Ruby, you belong here, that kind of feel. And where people were able to come for the learning, but stay for the friendships almost, that they would walk away with friends. And then just like start seeing those things all happen. All the things that I really wanted happened. And there were some like definite hiccups, some like technical things that weren't great that really bothered me. There were some difficult conversations. There were a few things that were pretty upsetting for me actually to work through. But overall, the things that I mainly wanted, those big things really happened. And that felt so good. And I did not know that I would be able to do that. And it wasn't just me. It was like the whole team. But even that was like, I do so many things on my own. I'm not used to working with other people to get things done. And I didn't know if I would be able to do that. So being able to rely on Mark and all of the volunteer team, and I don't come from a background where I bring a lot of people together to do projects. So it was like, will that work? And it did. You know, like these people trusted me and like they showed up and did all the stuff. And that felt really good too. And we're so energized. They're all like excited to want to do it again. So all that felt so good. And then there's some other things. This is like pretty personal, but one of the things that made it so impactful for me was it's rare for me to have a time where I could connect my personal and family life to my professional life. But my wife, Christy, she helped with... She's done a bunch of event planning, number one, but she helped handle all the food and drinks and all those logistics and did a great job like decorating that area. She's like, she's just very detail oriented. She thought through all those things. She handled all of that. And she was there the entire time. With your kids. Yeah. With our younger two kids. Yeah. That was really cool to see. You don't see that very often, right? So I didn't know how that was going to go, but it was so good to have them there. And it was so rewarding to see how people interacted with them and said, oh, yeah, talk to your wife or your kids are so great hearing that kind of stuff. And then my family being able to see me in this professional space in sort of that professional capacity, it was just super meaningful to like combine the two. And so in the end, it wasn't just like a win for me. It was a win for me with my family. And that was like really meaningful to me. And I know not everybody gets that. That meant so much to me. Yeah, I I totally get that. My wife is a stay-at-home mom. I work and my kids don't really know what I do. So I'm stuck in this office all day working away. And then I come out and they're like, they don't have a clue what I'm doing. So being able to bring them in and share part of what you do with them and let them see that and get to experience it, I can definitely understand. Yeah. It was just so special. I mean, the whole thing, I felt like I was taking mental snapshots to like, remember this, like, this is like special. I know not everything can always be like this. And in some ways it's like, Don't try to do that again because it's like maybe it's a once in a lifetime experience that. But like I was definitely capturing in my mind the moments to like reflect on later because it was like just for me, like so rewarding in so many different ways. You've just given me a bunch of positive feedbacks (laughs) about this. Yeah. I have a blooper section later, but while we're on the positive parts, I feel like you've been pretty mom on this question. Several people have asked you, but. Let's ask the question, is there going to be a sequel? All right. So the main things are, number one, this was a very time-consuming project. And I knew that I would take a hit financially the first two quarters of this year to like pull it off. And then I would try to make it up the second two quarters of the year. And 
that is stressful. It just is. I broke even on the financials, right? But it was like so much time that I would have yeah, been... Yeah, opportunity lost. Yeah. I would have been billing a lot of those hours, right? That's just a good chunk of change. And I'm looking at a lot of personal expenses right now. They're like, wow, okay, how are we going to pay for that? How are we going to pay for that? So like when I think about, oh man, would I be ready in January to start this all over again? So far, I'm like, I don't know if I am. I'm not yet confident that I'll be back at a place I need to be in January to like start this whole ride again. And while it will probably be less time next time, I don't expect it to be much less. There were a bunch of things that were just like, I had to come up with brand new processes for a bunch of stuff. And a lot of it was just all this mental figuring of, all right, so if I do this and do this and how will that work and how will that work? So yes, there is that, but maybe I'll save 50 out of 250 hours. I don't think it'll be half. It won't be 100 hours of work. It's still going to be, I would expect to be well over 100 hours. So it just is that. And I think that's okay. And so then people are saying, well, just involve other people, offload the tasks. And I think it would be much easier to do that next time. But number one, I'm not great at delegation. Actually, my team was definitely telling me like, you need to delegate more. I'm like, you don't understand. Like, this is the best I've ever delegated in my life. (laughs) Baby steps. Yeah, exactly. But it's not as simple as delegate 50% of what you did this year next year. I don't think it could be that much. And delegation also means codifying all the things that are in your head and getting them into somebody else's head, like turning all these things into either written process or training or something, right? To like know how you want things done, especially if you're like me, where you might be a little particular about what you want, (laughs) you know, like the outcome. I'm kind of like that. I don't mean to be, but I am. Like there are things like I want to be a certain way and... I don't want to be mad at people for doing things the way I don't like them, but it's hard to cede control sometimes for those things. And especially when I'm like, I'm not yet confident that I know what things you can kind of create where there's wiggle room, like give this thing and here's the boundaries for it. And outside these boundaries is would not be successful, but within these boundaries, it's going to be fine. There's an acceptable amount of wiggle room in here. And I don't know what those things are yet. Yeah. Anyway, so it's multiple things. It's the money and the time. And I think maybe the last thing is my wife, Christy, she's reminded me like even a couple months ago, I'm thinking, okay, so maybe next year I do such and such. She's like, you're already thinking about next year? And I'm like, yeah, I guess I am already thinking about like, because I do that. I'm just like already going to the next thing. Like, what would it look like? I've already taken a bunch of notes. I've already got a Google doc of here's the stuff we would do next year. If we do it, here's what we do look differently. But she reminded me that I like to start new things. And that is true. Like, I like starting new things. I have always been that way. I was, I'm definitely a better starter than finisher. <laughs> it is hard for me. You know, that's another big one was like, I'm great at starting stuff and not finishing it. And I had to finish this project. I you had didn't really to have finish. a choice, did you? I did not have a choice. <laughs> But finishing it was so hard. It was very hard. And I was so happy at the end. But wow, it was hard. And we've still got videos to put out. So the project's not actually over. It is for everybody else. But I've still got some tie-up things with my accountant and with the videographer to get videos done. And so it's like still not quite over when Jeremy likes to start things and not finish them. So she reminded me of that. I was like, yeah, that's true. 
So maybe having the optionality to start something else is better. I don't know. That's probably more where my energy is typically is like starting something fresh. But I would really like this to exist. I want to go to it. I want to go to that again. I want to relive those three days again, like right now. I would like to do that again. I don't want to have to do the work for it. I, I want to go as an attendee. <laughs> like I want to hang out with all those people. So I want that to exist. So maybe part of it is like, okay, well, maybe I need to do this a few more times and then create a succession plan or something that can kind of set it on a course and then pass it along or something. So that's another thing that's in my mind. So as of yet, I don't know, but I loved it. I want to do it again especially if I could manage it financially, that would be the big thing. But it's clear to me now why it's so hard, why organizers often have that when they're like, hey, are you bringing back such and such conference? And they smile because they're like, yeah, I love that. But at the same time, what they're not saying is that was so hard and that was so costly. And I don't know that I have it in me again. I think I have at least some appreciation for that as a first timer, as a freshman organizer, what that might be like for those established OG organizers. Well, congratulations on pulling it off. I think as a, an attendee, it was a great event. It was really well done. And it was one of my favorite conferences that I've been to. So congrats on that. And you mentioned earlier that you said something about relatively unknown in the Ruby community. I think you've changed that over this past year. Like you were on a gazillion podcasts. You put on a conference. You are speaking at a couple more conferences coming up, going to Rails world. Things have been busy for you. <laughs> yeah, that is weird. I was talking to Jason Sweat earlier this week and he was like, man, your name's like coming up everywhere. And I'm like, this is just weird. This doesn't make sense to me. I don't understand why. It's weird to me, like, I don't usually ever feel like that's the case for me. Like I'm usually feel like I'm behind the scenes or on the sidelines and things like that. But there is something that I have been putting some effort into and it comes from this. Like maybe two years ago, I realized that, okay, I've been working for myself and on my own for about 10 years. And I never think about like the level I'm at, like professionally, I don't have a title like senior developer. But it hit me like a couple of years ago, like, oh, yeah, I guess you're senior level now. No one ever gave you that title, but that's probably what you are. And then I was talking to some friends that I had previously worked with and they moved on to other companies and they were moving up from senior to staff to principal. And I'm thinking, oh, that's interesting. Like they have this progress, this way of kind of moving up this ladder. And I don't have anything like that. Like, how do you progress to the next level? And so I started thinking about that. Like, how do I progress to the next level? What's my version of staff? engineer. And not that's like what I need. I don't need a title, but it's like, what does it look like to go from when I started working for myself? Can I actually get the work done? Can I build stuff? Can I actually ship working software? Can I serve these clients well? So now like, okay, I know how to do this pretty well, I think. And I know how to manage clients and projects pretty well, I think. So then what's next? What's the thing that takes me to that next level? And if it's not simply about increasing skill. Certainly, I'm going to keep getting better at Ruby and project management and client relations and all that kind of stuff. But beyond that, is there anything else professionally that's next? And so I was thinking like, what would it mean to like try to increase my impact, even though I'm an independent person? If you're in that place like us, it's like, oh, start an agency, hire more people to work under you. And then that puts me into a place where I'm actually a manager 
And that's not necessarily what I want to do. And so I think what I've been trying to do in the past year or two is really come out of that. Like now that I'm starting to be on the older end of the Ruby crowd, and or at least that's what it's starting to feel like, what does it mean for me to have an impact in this place and have a professional impact beyond just the clients, the two or three clients that I have that I work with right now? Is there a thing that I can do? And so I think that's partly why I was excited to do Indie Rails with you. And it was why I was thinking about, oh man, I should try to do this conference. Man, if I could pull that off, that could be really impactful. And so that's the stuff I'm thinking about now is like, how can I have a broader impact? Not because I like I have to or something, but more just like to push myself to the hopefully the next level, I guess, to be a good influence in our community, to be someone that's helpful to other people, to challenge myself and like work on I guess, leadership stuff. No one's giving me a title to say, here's your direct reports or something. But it's like, what could I do that would help to do that? And how could I pick myself to do those kind of things? I don't know if that makes sense, but that's kind of like where that's coming from, I think. I think that's something that you and I shared in common when we first met is that we were sort of looking for that next step, that next direction, and we're ready to take it. And so we started doing it together in a lot of ways, especially for us as independents. And we've been doing this for 15 plus years. You need goals. You need some direction. And if you're not getting that from an organization, then you sort of have to do it yourself or you have to join together with other peers to do it together. Yeah. There's not a track laid for you. Like it might be in an organization where other people are doing it. And I think for the longest time, I couldn't figure out what the track should be or how would I pick a thing to go to next? Like, okay, I'm doing this. And like my main goal was be able to work from home and maybe escape the typical nine to five grind. That was my initial goal, right? When I started working for myself. And then after I hit a certain point, it's like, well, what next? What now? And I think I've just been asking that for a while. It's just like, what now? And so it was like, yeah, I need something else. I want something. And I realized like, while there have been a bunch of things that have made me absolutely scared and stressed, I'm having more fun now than I've ever had professionally. This has been just the most fun. That's cool to hear. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That feels really good. It's like really energizing. I don't want to go back. Like I could just do my client work and then clock out and go elsewhere. But I really like these things, these things that I'm trying to do, especially when they start to work. That feels really good too. <laughs> but it's like, this is fun. I want to keep doing this. And I needed that. I didn't realize, I didn't realize how much I'd been missing that. Okay, Jeremy, thank you so much for sharing your journey and experience with putting on your first ever conference. Is there anything else you want to leave us with? Any final thoughts? Yeah, I think maybe one last thing is that I had this extra goal in mind too with doing this conference that I wanted to have this experience and know what it was like to organize a conference. And then I hoped that what I learned from that, I might be able to help other people. I feel like, I don't know if you've looked at the rubyconferences.org site, but there were a lot of Ruby conferences prior to 2019. And people say, oh, wow, regional conferences have come back. Actually, if you look prior to 2019, there's a lot more. And yes, they have come back, but there were a lot more even before. Haven't hit the pre-COVID levels, huh? No, they have not. They have not. And so I really think there is room for more. And I would hope that there would be more. And I guess I was hoping that like 
my experience might help other people. I ended up talking to like seven different conference organizers and all of them were super helpful. And every time I talked to another organizer, I learned like another critical thing that I needed to know. And I feel like that was very valuable. And so I'm hoping to be like a resource to other people. And I've already been able to talk to a few people who are either in the conceptualization stage or on their way. So that's very exciting. But I want to be able to do more of that. And there were so many things at the beginning of the project that was just like, oh, man, I wish I knew something about that. Like, how much does it cost to do X? And what is the likelihood that this would happen? Like, there's so many things Mm -hmm. like that I have a better sense about now than for sure than before. And maybe there's a certain way that a beginner, first-time organizer, there might be things that I know now, right now, that more experienced and established organizers have forgotten because they've just like, it's just innate now for them. So it's like a senior developer who forgets this problem that a junior developer routinely Mm -hmm. faces. Right. So I'm trying to make a bunch of notes. I'm hoping that I could write this out somehow and share it with people. There is like a Ruby community organizers group and I shared a sort of a first pass brain dump with them, but I'm hoping to share more of that. And I'm also hoping to just connect to other people that in the community that want to organize conferences and just be like a, if I can be a resource, if I can be an encouragement, it was fantastic. It was so good for me, you know, in so many different ways. I hope more people do. I want to go to these conferences myself and I just want to be able to encourage other people to do the same thing. Thank you, Jeremy. And thank you everyone for listening in and we'll call that a wrap.